going to have to shorten that. That was a little bit too long. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This is the Code of Conduct with the King podcast. I am your host, Jay Spence the King, and we are here live Monday, April 26th, and it is the Colossal Conduct. In case y'all didn't know, that means it's going down. It's your boy, Jay Spence the King. I have several guests tonight, but none other than my big special guest, Mr. Jim Manos, previously of the Buffalo Bills personnel office. Listen, it is about to go down. He actually already, I'm about to bring him in right away because he already jumped in and was like, yo, I got, I got some stuff to talk about. <laughs> I'm going to get it off my chest. So I'm going to bring my man Jim in. Jim, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on the Buffalo Rumblings YouTube network. I was about to say the podcast network on the Code of Conduct podcast show. Thank you so much for joining me. How is it going today, man? I can't thank you guys enough for having me. And, and today's been a great day. They they always are here in Buffalo. You know, last week we got teased with some weather. You know, I'm not sure what's going on outside right now, but I'm I'm ready to get that warmth back. So oh, so you're still in Buffalo? I, I am in Buffalo right oh. now. Um, yeah, my my wife's from here, so you know we we, we stuck around here, came back. We we actually moved to South Carolina after we got let go in Buffalo. Lived down there for a couple of years, came back. Now we have a son and and raising him up here right now, but it's been fun. All right, man. Well, that's cool, man. Um, it's, it's not many people. I know, like, obviously the guys that most of the fans like fall in love with and it's like they become lifers. Certain guys stick around. But for the most part, afterwards, you hear about people leaving uh, when they're not with the organization. So I think it's cool that you uh, you made your way back up to Western New York, man. So but welcome to the Code of Conduct, man. It's going to be a fun night. Uh, so the way this is going to go, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Jim obviously has um, the type of knowledge that somebody like me I don't get to uh, kind of tap into too often. So with him being a special guest tonight, I wanted to have, uh, we got my man, Bruce mm -hmm. Nolan. We got Joe Miller. Um, it was supposed to be Greg Thompson of cover one, but Sterling is actually going to fill in in his place because Greg yeah. wasn't feeling too well. And then we got my man, uh, Dave tilt money from Buffalo fanatics. So it's a cross network event. I'm trying to show some unity, man. We're going to show Buffalo is, is just as good as the team, you know, like we, our content creators wow. is just as good as the squad. So uh, before I bring Bruce in uh, for the first round of questions, you kind of were talking a, a little bit prior to the show. We were talking about the draft and we were talking about what, what some, what you think some teams are going to do. I want to start off with San Fran. I got some friends in San Francisco. And the thing is, I'm shocked that the Jimmy experience didn't work out. Um, you know, because everybody in New England was like, you know, hey, after Tom Brady, we wanted to Jimmy. We want It just doesn't look like Jimmy would have been the answer there either. So I, I'm kind of like, hey, send him back to New England. Uh, what do you think San Fran is going to do? You know, it's crazy. I'm with you where it's to me, the 49ers got their guy. I mean, he took him to a Super Bowl. And honestly, yeah, he didn't play great in that Super Bowl and obviously missed some throws that could have changed the outcome of that game. But what I'm hearing out of San Fran from my friends that are still working in the league is Shanahan doesn't like Garoppolo. He doesn't. He thinks he's a prima donna. He doesn't think he's smart enough. And that just leads you to everything you're hearing about Mac Jones. When you study Mac Jones as a player, it makes sense if that's what he's looking for, where, hey, just run the offense the way I want it run. And, and if that's what Shanahan's looking for, it makes sense that Mac Jones now seems to be the heavy favorite to go at three. As a gambling man, you know, I put that in last week. The odds are kind of shooting through the roof right now because I think it's coming out a little bit more that it looks like the 49ers are taking Mac Jones. But 
that's the crazy part of these drafts where you don't really know unless you're inside the building and I'm not inside. And it, it is kind of strange being on the outside, but you have to just go with your, you know, to me, if there's smoke, there's fire. And we've heard Mac Jones for enough to, to feel like that's got to be the pick. Matt, so, so, okay, you just, you just said, so you, it's kind of like you're not used to not being in the building too. Like, you yeah. know, you've had a career now at this point in the building. So it's Monday of the draft. Right now, with you being in the building, what's Monday like for you right now? What are you doing? You know, these these weeks are awesome. You're done. The work is done. You could have had the draft three weeks ago. Um, at this point, you really you go in, you're kind of going through scenarios, possibly. Hey, especially if you're picking at the top of the draft. If you're the Bills picking at 30, it's a little different. I was fortunate enough to be in New Orleans where we were picking in these 30s before, you know, with, with some good years. And really, there's not much you can do if you're not trying to go up and make big moves. And you, 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 honestly, it's a fun week. I mean, you're just kind of letting it play out. But if you're trying to be aggressive and get after that pick, if you think this is your window and you need one guy, you're picking in the top 10 or you're trying to get back, it's a fun. I mean, you're, you're banging out the phone calls. You're banging out every scenario you can think of. Um, as a fan, it's fun because obviously, you know, you we do all these mock drafts and then we um, we watch, you know, NFL Network and we watch ESPN and FS1 and we look at all of these things that they say our team is going to do. And then we always get disappointed. Well, sometimes sometimes it works out this year. It's a little different. The Bills, it seems like truly for the first time, like in a while, we really we really can go best player available. Um, it seems like that's what Brandon Bean has been doing, but it also seems like the best player available kind of seems to fit with what our need happens to be. Um, where where do you see the Bills kind of what direction? I, I know we're going to get a little deeper into it later on, so I don't want you to kind of go too deep into philosophy. Uh, but do you think it's going to be a defensive draft for the Bills or do you think this is going to be um, heavier to the to the offensive side? You kind of summed it up kind of perfectly as far as, Basically, when you're picking 30th, you want to get who you feel like is the best player at that pick because obviously you're already a good football team, right? You're picking 30th. You have your quarterback. You know, Josh is good, so you don't have to worry about quarterback. Now you got to take the best player that you think can add value to your team. Now, if you have two guys that are equal and one's a corner and one's a guard, you know, that's up. You know, the Bills are obviously they know what they want more than anything, but I would always think. Sean being a defensive guy, having the final say, I I don't see there I don't see any reason why the Bills shouldn't keep building that defense at this point. I think the offense is kind of loaded up now. If there's a guy they value and they have a vision for that player, that's different. But to me, you can't have enough guys, good players on defense. Once you have an once you have a franchise quarterback, build that defense, build yeah, that defense. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. We finally got our guy, man. It feels good. It feels got good. <laughs> you know, uh, really quickly, uh, Young Holla 28 on Twitter, I'm guessing, because this is Periscopes, yeah. asking if we're live on YouTube. We are absolutely live on YouTube. So actually, if you are watching mm-hmm. on Periscope, do me a favor. I'm not asking you to hop out and stop watching me. I'm asking you to hop out, jump over to YouTube, subscribe, like, do me a favor. We need you <clears> to <throat> like that thing because when you like it, mm-hmm. it, it kind of plays with the algorithm. And then when you search for Buffalo Bills content, you get to see the code of conduct. You get to see Joe Miller. You get to see everything else that we're doing in the Hump Day Hotline. So, so please, please, please head over to YouTube, hit subscribe and like. So 
I'm gonna get right into it, man. I, I had a couple more questions oh. for you, but I'm gonna save them towards the end for myself because I'm, yeah. I'm ready to bring in some of these uh some of these other content creators. Um, this first gentleman I'm gonna bring in, he he is. You know, I, I brag now because I get to speak to him daily and I feel like my podcast has gotten a ton better since he is, you know, kind of taking me under his wing and we've spent some time together. So I'm going to bring in uh, Mr. Exclusive himself, Mr. Bruce Nolan, um, also of the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. How's it going today, Bruce? It's fantastic. It's a party all the time. Just disco balls, dancers, the whole thing. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> well, we, it is a party anytime that we all get together. So look, we got my man Jim here. We got Bruce. Um, we we had the opportunity to already introduce Bruce and Jim behind the scenes prior to the show starting. So we're gonna get right into it, Bruce. Um go for it. You got your questions ready. Let's 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 shoot it. Okay, Jim. So with the team that made it to the AFC championship game last season, you would imagine, like you said, the roster would be solid. The coaching staff has continuity and experience. The front office has been lauded. Where do the bills have the best opportunity to improve as an organization, as a whole, to take the next step toward perennial contender status? Is it simply build up that defense? Is there something bigger? Is there something different? I am all about that defense. I would, whoever you value is the best pass rusher or best corner cover safety nickel corner at 30, take them. You have to go beat Mahomes. You're going to have to deal with Wentz and Mayfield. And you got to deal with these real big time quarterbacks now. And, and to beat these guys, you have to affect the quarterback. We always say that in drafts, like, Hey, I want a franchise quarterback. And then I want to draft 11 guys that are going to affect the other team's quarterback. And that's pass rushers. That's corners. So to me, I, I to the Bills should be able. I, I would load up on defense if I was the Bills. It's interesting you said that. I thought you might bring up affecting the quarterback, and one of the things that's become kind of an an interesting football theory discussion as of late is that which part of defensive affecting the quarterback correlates more strongly to negative plays from the opposing offense. Is it pass rush or is it coverage? Historically, the old adage was always that it's pass rush. However, with the rise of analytics, things have started to kind of shift a little bit. Now it's a lot closer to being 50-50 on modern football opinions as to which correlates more significantly with affecting the quarterback in a negative way. Where do you fall on that? If you have similar grades and similar needs on pass rusher and a defensive player who's going to be able to be in coverage, where do you fall on that spectrum? And it's that's a I love that question and it's a great debate that my friends that we still talk about all the time. But to me, if the guy can rush the quarterback, I think that overtakes anything. I, I just think the rules are set up. It's so hard to play corner that to me, if, if it's equal, if you have a pass rusher and a corner who are equal, I think I'd go pass rusher, all things being equal. Now, if you feel like that corner is significantly better than the, the rusher that's on the board when you're picking at 30, then you take the corner and you're good. Either way, you're making your team better as long as you feel like those guys are upgrades for your, your team. But I'm always, I'm always going pass rush. I got it. You just, I think you guys, it's, you guys are diehards. I mean, you see what happens to these quarterbacks. They all become the same when they start getting pressure. 
do you think as a follow-up to that, do you think that when you look at the Super Bowl and you compare that and contrast that with the AFC championship game, do you think there's a lesson to be learned there about good quarterbacks under pressure? And or do you think, hey, it's just one game? We really can't take one game and blow it out of proportion, even if it is the Super Bowl. Do you think you can look at that and go, hey, look what worked against Patrick Mahomes? We want to do that same thing against Patrick Mahomes. Let's go get a pass rusher. Is it really that simple? Well, it's funny. I'm, I've been. It's really funny how the NFL is. But that Super Bowl now has made everybody say, "You have to have an offensive line. You have to protect your quarterback." And the Kansas City Chiefs had a good offensive line. They had some injuries. There's a lot of teams that if they lost their tackles, wouldn't have been able to protect their quarterback. And the Chiefs, I think, have done a great job of already rebuilding that offensive line. I love Brett Veach. We talk about GMs. Like, I like to talk about GMs. I know we talk about coaches and quarterbacks a lot in the media, but Brett Veach, pay attention to what he's doing. He is calculated. Andy Reid has handpicked him from a long time ago in Philadelphia. I promise you that. I've known Brett for a long time. He is so detailed and so into the future that, okay, they had injuries, and a lot of teams would have struggled in that Super Bowl with those injuries. Tampa was healthy. Tampa got you know, really, they were lucky to be in the Super Bowl. They should have really, to me, they should have lost it. You throw three picks in the second half like Brady did against any other team, you usually lose. But they got there. That was their, to me, that was their like, okay, we got one. You know, this one we weren't supposed to win, but we did. And now you're facing a Chiefs team that's not healthy. But so the whole league now is all, well, we got to have an offense line. It's always been that way. You always want to protect your quarterback. Injuries are hard. Depth is hard to build. So I know I went on a little tangent there because I really, really am just amazed how it's like the emphasis has been on protecting the quarterback. It's always about protecting the quarterback. But you better build, you better build to attack the other team's quarterback. I really believe that. And, and I think these guys are so good and the rules are so set up for offense now that you better find ways to get to that quarterback. Do you think Brett Veach doesn't get as much shine as he probably should because everyone assumes it's the Andy Reid show? I mean, you had the same okay. thing with Dorson. Same Brett's thing with Dorson. Okay with he went to he went to yeah. Cleveland afterwards, done, and then he got the shine. Everyone's like, "Whoa, wait, hold on. Maybe it was maybe it was actually Andy Reid." And so now maybe you think people are sleeping a little bit on Brett Veach yeah. because they just assume it's Andy Reid. I think the people in the business know Brett Veach has a lot to do with what's going on in Kansas City. Um, the big thing that happened with Dorsey and Andy Reid was Dorsey didn't pay enough attention to detail. This is from sources I know to all the little things. And Andy Reid is all about detail. And Brett Veach has that. He, he kind of was kind of seeing the future. I know he was pushing Mahomes and, and gets credit for that. But John Dorsey, I mean, what a success. I mean, he's everywhere he's been, he's had success. You know, it's crazy to think he's not, you know, where – I don't even know where he is right now. I thought he was in Philly for a second, but – to your point, Bruce, it's a really a good point. Brett Veach doesn't care about the credit. He doesn't. That's not Brett. I know Brett. Um, he cares about the wins, the Super Bowl rings. And, and when you're a GM, that's what you want. You, you really don't want to be in the media. That's for the coach. To be, I was always a believer. Let the players get all the fucking credit. Sorry about that word. But I'm a heavy player. Like, I'm just player heavy, and, and they deserve the credit, and, and they should be in front and center. And GMs, take a step back, get those checks, get those rings, but let the players get the credit. So on a related note to that, we were talking about affecting the quarterback, and you were talking about pass rush and how you prioritize that over coverage. 
One of the things I think is interesting is we've been talking a little bit about this as a community, as Bill's Mafia community, this offseason is this concept of units. And it was all kind of spurned from a tweet that was given by Daniel Jeremiah about how defensive game planners will attack your weak link on your offensive line. And so almost it's almost as important to have your worst guy be okay than it is to have your best guy be great. Mm -hmm. And I think that's interesting because it kind of spurred a lot of conversations on units. First off, just your thoughts on that idea, that concept that it's more important to have your worst guy be okay and the whole chain link you know, theory that goes into that. And also, does that apply to the defensive backfield and the pass rush as well? Like if you have a defensive lineman and one of them is just woefully inadequate, does that have the same effect as having an offensive lineman be woefully inadequate? If you have a corner who simply can't turn and run, is that going to anchor your defensive secondary the same way? As the concept of units kind of came up, and as we started to kind of compare and contrast taking a pass rusher to taking a corner to taking an interior offensive lineman, all of these kind of ideas started conflicting, and I just wanted your take on it. No, I, I love that question, Bruce, It's because you're right. But this is what every defensive coach does, right? Okay, the right tackle is weaker than the left tackle. So, okay, what do the Bears do? They might move Khalil Mack, so he's rushing against the right tackle more than he is against a left tackle who might be pretty good. That's obvious, right? I think that the, the Bears, you know, the teams that the Bears play, they know that. They're like, hey, they're probably going to use Mack against our worst tackle. But it goes the other way. And the only reason I'm telling you this, too, and you kind of answered it, Bruce, with the secondary, Sean Payton, when I was, I was a scout for the Saints and really learned a lot about football with the Saints more than any place I've ever been, Sean Payton – we used to talk about, you know, in, in the draft boards and we're going through, you know, safeties or corners who are 5'10". Sean Payton's like, yeah, let another team take that guy. That That's going to be our target. So I, that's when I paid attention. I was like, wow, it, it is it is a total – it's almost just like basketball where you're just trying to mismatch it. Hey, get the pick, make the picks. Let's get the mismatch we want and then let's get the ball to that guy. And, and football has become that where these coaches are honestly game planning to get the matchup they want. So it goes both ways, though. So to your point, is your right tackle, whoever your weakest lineman is, Bruce, to your point, can you cover him up? Can you help him? Because you already know the defense is going to attack him. And if you're on offense, you need to pay attention when certain guys are out and certain if they're in nickel and dime, who's the weak link? And let's go after him. Thanks a lot, Jim. I appreciate your time. Hey, Bruce. Uh, thank you for, for hanging with me tonight, man. If you can, real quick, I know everybody in here should already know, but if you can, really quickly, let everybody know uh, where they can find your content and when your show is uh, when when it's released. Well, thanks so much for letting me be part of this, Spence. I appreciate that. Jim, thanks so much for doing this and, and being a part of this. Uh, my name is Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. My show, The Bruce Exclusive, drops every Thursday and Friday on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Thank you so much, Bruce. You already know you're my guy. I appreciate you, man. So uh, I'm sure I'll be chatting it up with you in the chat next. So we got my main man coming in next. I told you this thing is going to keep going, man. This is a cross network event. <laughs> Buffalo is showing y'all how to do it in every other market, man, because we got the best content creators. We have the best. We just got the best, damn it, period. I got my man, Sterles for the girls. My man coming in from cover one. What up, Sterles? Hey, hey, what's good? What's good? What's good? Jim, loving that beanie, bro. Hey, man, I always rock it. I don't have TV hair, so I got to put the beanie on. I'm the TV bald, hair? Right? I don't have TV <laughs> what is, hair. What? I'm not, I don't have that style like you guys. I got to go with the beanie. 
I got called Rick Ross earlier, so you know. I see it. What? You but see here's it? the thing. <laughs> I, I like that you called it a beanie. You know, we grew up calling it Scully's. I call it a Scully. Scully. Yeah, yeah, he's from Denver, though. Where are you from, got, sir? No, I'm from Tennessee. We call them toboggans in the South. Ooh. Toboggans. Ain't that like, like chewing it. tobacco or something like that? It's Southern. <laughs> no, that's Copenhagen. I'm tripping. Don't go off on me, Peter. <laughs> 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 All right, Charles, what's up, man? We got a couple. I know. I know. Like, but listen, we got some questions from a bad gym, man. What's going on, Sterl? Hey, <laughs> right, so Jim, what's up, man? I'm representing Cover One. Uh, Greg was supposed to be here, so I'm. He gave me his yeah. questions to ask. Uh, he says yeah. every front office has their set requirements of size, hmm. speed, traits, measurements, etc. What is an example where you broke from your draft rules or guidelines and maybe archetypes and regretted it? Every every guy that runs a draft, um, you have your height, weight, speed measurements like you brought up. But you also have to not stray from what you believe character wise. Hmm. And it's hard. It's tempting. You know, when you get a guy, you know, like we took Carlos Williams in the fifth round and we knew it was a high risk. We took Chantrell Henderson in the seventh round. It was a high risk. I look back on those and, you know, I think they were worthwhile picks. I really do. Like, I mean, Carlos Williams was on the verge of being rookie of the year. Chantrell Henderson started games at right tackle as a rookie and was locking down some of the top pass rushers in our division. And it, I remember during their rookie years thinking, no, you, this is okay in the fifth, sixth, seventh round to take chances on guys that you might break away from normally that obviously if they had higher character, they would have been drafted higher. Now the height, weight, speed thing is interesting. We took Nick O'Leary in the sixth round the one year, the tight end from Florida state. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, at the end of the day, he, he, he was slow, average athlete, you know, great hands, great production, look tough, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, he didn't have the measurements in New Orleans, Jimmy Graham, when I was scouting Jimmy Graham, we took him in the third round, but his tape didn't show third round. Coach Payton watched that tape, and, and I was the scout for Jimmy, and, and you know, we were lucky enough where Coach Payton said, look, I can, I can, I'm going to make, I can get this guy to do whatever we need to do. And that's where you learn as a scout where, hey, okay, the tape wasn't great on Jimmy Graham in college. It wasn't. He had drops. He looked like a robot running routes, like he was counting his steps. But, man, he hadn't played football. He was just learning. And you have to get – and Coach Payton saw that and said, no, 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 he can do it. We just got to keep working with him. And that's where that's where you just really have to have the right leader, the right scouts, and the right – like, you know, the overview and the, the – the, foreseeing what they can do, have a vision for those guys. Coach Payton always talked about, I have a vision for him. And that always woke me up. So I look back on that with Jimmy Graham and think, okay, he had a vision for a stud athlete, you know, off the chart size and speed and athleticism, but his tape wasn't great. Well, here we are in Buffalo. We took Nick O'Leary where his tape was great, where he dominated college football. But at the end of the day, he was just a product of the system who could catch a football. He wasn't going to, he wasn't going to scare any defensive coordinator. Yeah. So how do you uh, – you mentioned Jimmy Graham. You know, that's a, a very high upside kind of guy. Mm -hmm. Josh Allen is a very high mm -hmm. upside kind of guy. Where do you draw the line or delineation mm -hmm. between high upside and then intangibles like character and, and those things? Because I think – is it true? Every coach thinks that they can take any, just about anybody, right, and just turn them into whatever mm -hmm. they want them to be. What, what In your time in Buffalo or even New Orleans – 
what was uh was there a balance there or where did you guys typically side no it's a great it's a great question because the high upside thing can get you fired quick you know if you're taking guys that have high upside but you better be you better know a lot about their makeup hmm. to know if they're going to max out their talent and jimmy graham had a drive and was you know he wanted to be a great player so you knew he was going to work to get better some of these guys you know they can go run a 40 and jump but they might not have that heart that it takes in in, in the trenches you know and on game day to to separate themselves and really max out their talent so that's where scouts really come into play where scouts will tell you you know they'll tell the gm and director they'll tell the guy setting the draft like look this guy's you're going to get everything out of this guy um uh, matt milano was a good example okay where i can tell you for a fact that i pushed him hard on coach payton i mean i'm sorry on, on sean on sean mcdermott and i remember sitting in sean's office in the morning of day three of the draft watching milano and our scouts were lukewarm on milano because he was a safety you know bc linebacker what is he but when you looked at his his workout, his numbers were off the charts for a linebacker. Now, could he handle you know the running and, and or, you know the run game when it comes at him? But but McDermott, Sean did a good job of watching him. We watched him together, and Sean saw it and had a vision for him right away. Hey, I this is a guy I can work with, and and that's when you know when the coach sees it, and as a scout, you're like, okay, this guy's going to succeed, and it's really that makes me happy to see Milano make it. Wow. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Uh, his other question was, what is an example where that same risk or break from process paid off mm -hmm. and how would you know when and when not to in the future? I think the other thing um, when you're having philosophies, you know, I look at, I look at the one thing I definitely learned a lot about was trading up for a player. If he's not a franchise quarterback, you probably shouldn't trade up for a guy. And I say probably shouldn't because obviously there might be some exceptions. But when we traded up for Sammy Watkins, he should have been hands down the best receiver in that draft class. And, and he was not hands down. And and we had arguments about that, you know, going into it. But he was a guy that we all felt good about. So we traded up for him. But talent wise, Beckham, Mike Evans, those guys were as good as Sammy, obviously, maybe better with the Saints. You know, we traded back into the first round one year to take Mark Ingram at running back because we thought we had this was our window, you know, to win a Super Bowl. You know, we had just so <clears throat> get back to the Super Bowl and, and run the ball. And so I just look at so many things. But if you're not trading up for a guy who you think is by far the best at his position, especially if he's the best at his position that's left in the draft, because it could be second round, it could be third round. We did it with Reggie Ragland at linebacker where he fit Rex Ryan's system so perfect, right? You know, and Rex, you know, that everybody wanted him. So we went up and took him. Well, he gets hurt. Rex gets fired. McDermott doesn't want him. And Reggie's bouncing around now. And, and that goes to show you, like, could Reggie Ragland have a different career if Rex Ryan was his coach? Probably. But it just goes to show you, I think trading up is very – I would definitely be very cautious to trade up unless it was for a franchise quarterback. Wow. Okay. So you, you mentioned earlier, I was kind of backstage listening about, um, you know, matchups, right. And, oh, yeah. and you, you were saying that now that you have a franchise quarterback, you build the defense. So I look at teams like the, the Rams who don't mm -hmm. believe in first round picks. They believe in going and getting proven talent and ability, right? We saw Brandon Bean do it, take a shot with Stefan Diggs. So 
we're looking, you know, right now, this week, you know, Bills at 30. I mean, there's lots of people out there who think the Bills are maybe a player or two away from uh, doing a Super Bowl run. In your opinion, what <clears throat> looking at this Bills team, how would you would you look at swinging for the fence for a high impact player or would you just be safe and, and stick at 30? No, I, I you know, here's I love that question, too, because. We're not there in their draft room, so we don't know what their right, draft right. board is. But, but, you, but of all people, you are like the closest thing we're going to get to their draft room. Okay, and so I guess what I would say was don't need to stray. When you're picking 30, unless there's somebody that you have rated as a top 10, 12 guy that's still sitting there at 25, you don't need to go up. Just stay at 30. Take the best player. You, you, they have proven to me and everybody, really, the Bills have proven they know the talent. They know what they want. Bean and McDermott know what they want. I would stick at 30 unless there's a guy that they just think, you know, obviously if they if you see the Bills go up on Thursday night for a guy, obviously they have that guy rated pretty high. Mm. Okay, man. I appreciate your time, Jim, for real. You're a real one for that. Nah, you guys are awesome. I appreciate you guys. Sterles, appreciate you, man. All right, now we're going to bring in my partner in crime. He's We're going to uh, extend him out a little bit because we went over it this habit because of some technical difficulties. But we got my brother from another mother, my man, Joe Buttery Smooth Voice Miller, <laughs> joining me tonight. What's up, man? Hey, guys, what's going on? Let me just first say thanks for thanks for not making me follow Bruce. <laughs> like, Those questions, man. Oh, I'm just a fan. I'm just a fan. Like, <laughs> Dude, to, that, to that point. Hey, Jim. I've been on a lot of podcasts lately. You guys, man, you guys' questions are legit. You guys are true <laughs> football guys. No, you guys are real football guys. Yeah, he, so, uh, you see, go ahead. When I was going to say, you see why I wanted to do it this way. I feel like we have, yeah. like, as a market, I think <laughs> Buffalo is an amazing city with amazing. content creators. And I feel like a lot of times we tend to kind of be pit against each other for, for whatever reasons. But there's no need for it, man. We all are smart and there's things that each network does that has its niche. And if we all work together, we have like probably the dopest network, not yeah. joining together like that, but I'm saying we'll have the dopest city as far as content yeah, creators sure. out of anywhere. For Let's sure. do this. So I'm sorry for, for having that little rant there, but I mean, I really believe that. I really believe that. Yeah, so, dude. uh, but yeah, Joe, uh, Jim, Jim, Joe, what's up, sir. So it's, it's interesting to me because I started this out by, by saying that I'm just a fan. I'm just a fan. And and I'm going to, this is where I'm going to start, Jim. Thank you. Buff, Bill's Mafia and this city and this fan base is unlike any other one in the country. I don't care what anybody says. I've lived in a lot of places. And I just want to say on behalf of all of Bill's Mafia, you know, you're Bill's Mafia for life. Thank you for the memories. Thank you for the players you drafted. Thank you for the wins. Thank you for the hard times, the good times, all of it. Thank you. If nobody ever said thank you before, I'm telling you, thank you. That's crazy, Joe. I appreciate that. And and it's crazy to hear that because, you know, when I first started this whole thing and getting that podcast with Tyler Dunn and I was thinking everybody was going to hate me because I was about to tell everybody why we didn't take Patrick Mahomes. Right, right. And I just felt like, man, they're going to hate me. But it's kind of going the other way. And I just wanted the fans to know what went down. Mm. You know, hey, I take responsibility. Doug Willie, we all take responsibility. McDermott does. But I just wanted people to know you guys are hardcore fans and, and you deserve to know what's going on inside right. and why decisions were made because you guys sit here and talk about it all the time. But 
it's it's good for you guys to actually know you know who who really had the say and who did what and it's it is a cool network and, and this this whole the bills mafia podcast network and everything it's it's all oh it's so good you guys are all good and diehard fans and you guys say you're fans but you really are knowledgeable so it's cool yeah. to talk I appreciate that. I uh, So I'm one of the older fans, and my show is called the Overreaction Podcast, and I don't do a whole lot of overreacting, but it is definitely like a fan-based podcast. <laughs> and, and being 47, being a season ticket holder since 1997, the, the tickets have been in my family since 77. Um, you know, I grew up my whole life being told that Buffalo wasn't a big enough market that we weren't, we, we, you know, we didn't have it. And I went to school for marketing. So I know that Buffalo itself, if, if from a metropolitan statistical area standpoint, is one inside the top 15 of the nation. If you draw a, a hundred mile radius around Buffalo, it's in the top mo- like 15 most populated areas density wise in the country. So I knew that was bunk. So I felt there was always a propaganda war against Buffalo when Ralph was aging. Right. So, but when you wrap all that up into a ball and the fear of us losing our football team, you know, a career in the NFL is clearly volatile enough. It's a carousel of transition. And there was a feeling at the top of the, 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 the at the top of the franchise that it was sort of a drift for a while, right? When Ralph was older, when he passed, when Mary took it over, mm-hmm. Brand, and Brandon mm-hmm. was kind of in charge. Mm-hmm. What I want to know from you, inside of that, the, the walls at One Bills Drive, what was the immediate culture change, the emotions in the building when you heard the Pagulas bought the Bills and vowed to keep the team in Buffalo, and stability was now our future? and the commitment and the financial commitment that they had to this team. What, what was that day? Cause people were crying on the radio. Like Bill's mafia was on the radio crying. Like, and I was one of them. Like, how are you guys inside those walls? We were, you know, it was tense because obviously we were tight with Russ Brandon and he was the only one that really knew what was going on. And he would obviously keep with Doug Whaley and myself, you know, up to date with everything. But it was between, it was between Donald Trump and Terry Pagula. Mm. And if Trump got the team, he was out. Mm. We were out. It was L.A. It was going to be Toronto. It was going to be something that he had planned big. And for everybody that doesn't like Russ Brandon, this is where you need to at least, you know, give a little respect to Russ as a businessman and a guy that was fighting. He was really he was the only one in the trenches on these meetings, Mm. you know, to who was going to buy the team. And and. Gulas, he came to us and said, they love Buffalo. They want this to work here. And man, I think the rest is history. Terry and Kim are just, I mean, I don't have, I'll never say a bad word about them. What they did for us was incredible. They gave us a chance. But yes, to your question, when they bought the team, we were all like, let's do this. Let's get this right. And that's why we, we had a, we had a mindset that, and we knew it, but we knew we needed to go get a quarterback and, Things didn't line up for us when we were there. Like, I mean, we were talking about trading everything, going up for Carson Wentz, the one draft. We wanted to do it, mortgage the future, you know. But after talking with Rex and everybody, we kind of backed off on that. And we just never got that quarterback. And and I think I've said this before on our podcast, but, you know, as, as great a job as Bean has done in McDermott, if Josh Allen didn't take that step this year, we're questioning a lot of things that they've done. I mean, as far as their draft picks and, you know, sure. I, it just goes to show you guys, a quarterback is just it. So anyway, to your yeah. point, yes, we are celebrating like crazy That's awesome. um, when the Pagulas got the team and, and, and they, they took us in and made us feel like, Hey, we want you guys. 
let's do this. And it made us feel good. And it was great. We, Hey, we gave it a great run. Yeah. That's awesome. And, uh, for me, there was a great deal of the years leading up to Ralph's passing. Um, Mm -hmm. and obviously Ralph is a legend in this town and will always be a big part of who we are as a city and making Buffalo what it is. And, and this team will for, I mean, obviously they've erected a statue in front of the, in front of the stadium in his honor, but the Pagoulas were kind of an outlier. Like, I'll be honest with you. I, I spent what, five, six, seven, eight years. The conversations were there's no billionaires in Buffalo, Jeremy Jacobs. And he owns the, the he owns the, the Bruins. And because of the rules, if he buys the, the bills, he has to sell the Bruins. So that's never going to happen. And it was a foregone conclusion. Did you, how acutely aware were you guys that the Bagulas were going to come in? Like just right. Just like, and just crush it. Never knew the name. Right. Totally was, th- this was a total, for me, it was a total new experience. And, to see them come in and you wouldn't know they had billions of dollars. Like they, they acted just like we act. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And and they, they put themselves, you know, they hang with everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. they don't act like they're billionaires. They don't act like they don't, that you can't talk to them or approach them. They want to be talked to. And like I said, they're just, they're who you want running your team. They really are. Right. Uh, my last question, and this is, this is not only is it an honor to be on the show with Jay Spence, who's one of my best friends, but to be on here with like the lineup and you, Jim is incredible. So thank you for being available. I I had Reed Ferguson on my show last night. Um, and he even said it like, he he doesn't understand why like players and like personalities don't make themselves more available. It's just, it's incredible. The connection that technology gives us, but I want to dip a little further into the emotion a little bit with you. Um, And I want to ask you because I couldn't imagine, like, can you talk about the wave of emotion between the day, like that that last day, the last day of the draft, right? You guys draft, you finish, you finish up that draft. It's McDermott's first year. And then the surprise of a lifetime as I listened to Doug Whaley kind of tell the story, like of like, Oh no, it was a normal meeting. We were called to the stadium. It was completely like completely normal. What was the um, the wave of emotion like being let go immediately following the morning of the two seven, 2017 draft? You know, it, it's one of those you, you it's, nothing can surprise you in the NFL, mm. and and maybe in business in general. And I'm sure everybody deals with it. You have bosses, and you never know exactly. But um, that was tough. That mm. was tough. I mean. Yeah, I've told this story too, but you know, Doug and I, we, we would ride to work together. We both lived downtown, you know, in, in Buffalo and we would drive to, you know, Orchard Park together and we were driving in that morning and we pulled up and we were just going to meet with our scouts and, and it was early in the morning, but we were just going to have a good meeting, get them out of the building, get them home to their families. And we pull up and we saw the Pagula's, uh, you know, the car and it was like 7.00 AM. We're like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. What are they doing here? Doug and I both look at each other. We I always say it was like a dead man walking. We got out of the car like, damn, mm. like we're about to get. So we walk into the building, right? We split off. I go into the room, into the draft room. All the scouts were sitting in there like, what's going on? Doug goes, you know, I get a text from Doug about three minutes later. Like we're cut. Mm. We're out. I was like, man. So it was one of those, like, it's a gut punch for sure, especially because oh, yeah. I've known Sean. I got Sean McDermott, the interview. We were part of the interviewing process. And, um, you know, I worked with Sean in Philly when we both first started and, and just really thought you know, I was really proud to see. I was proud of his interview. And, and Doug and I were 
and the Pagulas, we all were together on hiring Sean. Like it was, you know, Anthony Lynn was second choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we went with Sean, we all felt good about Sean and, and man, he's, he's proven us right. And I think that part of it makes me feel okay that, Hey, I was a part of at least hiring a really good head coach. Um, yeah, I'd like to still be working, but Hey, that's how it works. And, and, and Sean had to do what he had to do. He has to get his guy in. And that's how it works. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. I think that's my time there, Jay Spence. Yeah, I appreciate you being so candid, Jim. Like honestly, like you know, oh, yeah. you're just you're just open. You're open book, man. This is awesome. I mean, yeah, man. It's you guys deserve to hear it. You guys been you, you guys put out so much good feedback and support for the Bills that you should at least hear some of the stuff that goes on. So, yeah. So uh, again, just thank you, thank you for on the small side. Uh, and I know this sounds weird on the small side for hiring and getting Sean McDermott that interview. On the, big si- on the big side, thank you for everything you did for the Bills. Like, thank you for yeah. your Bills Mafia for yeah. life, bro. For hey, life. I appreciate that, guys. I, I never thought it'd be like this. And, I, hey, I root for them, too, now. So, it's great. I never thought I'd be rooting for the Bills after they <laughs> fired me. <laughs> Coming back and getting involved like this and talking to you guys makes yeah. me feel better about things, really. Sure. You guys you guys are true fans and understand it's a business. And, yeah, we, we had some mess-ups. We did some good things, too. You guys yeah. killed. You guys killed it. Thanks for the memories. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. That's awesome. Hey, Joe. Real quick, before I let you go, man, let everybody know where they can find you and where, when your content is released. So I am the voice of the Overreaction Podcast right here on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. My show airs live every Sunday night on YouTube at nine o'clock, and then uh, drops as a podcast in podcast form. You can find it right now. My show last night with Reed Ferguson, long snapper of the Buffalo Bills, brand new father. Hashtag girl dad is the best dad. Father <laughs> Reed Reed Ferguson uh, starting a podcast with his brother Balake. Blake Ferguson, uh, long stamper for the for the Dolphins. That is a podcast that's going to drop for the very first time this Thursday. Uh, so you're going to want to check that out. I had a great conversation with Reed. Reed is awesome and candid and wonderful. And then uh, this Friday, uh, the return of Off the ta- Off Tackle with John Fina show uh, with myself and John Fina this Friday nine o'clock. We're gonna re- we're gonna cover the Bills first. Well, hopefully three picks and then the rest of the draft. But other than that, it's just. As Bruce said, an honor and a pleasure just to be a part of this thing. So thank you. Hey, and and y'all get to see me and Joe do our thing again on Wednesday, Wednesday. for the Hump Day Hotline. Let's get it. Love you, Joe. Talk to you a little bit, man. All right. So now we got uh, the final guest of the evening because, like I said, we're gonna keep this thing going. Good, we man. got, we got man, we got content. We got, we got the best content creators. Bills you guys fans, really Bills have Mafia. great questions. We got great it. Great questions, Jim. I, Listen, I know everybody has said it 15 times. Man, I appreciate this, man. This is really cool. Like, this, this is awesome. I, I so, want to know who you guys want the Bills to draft at 30. Uh, well, I was actually going to tell you that after. So we're going to bring Dave okay. Money in. Um, well, no, I, we can actually ask him that, too. Um, yeah. We can yeah, have him part of this conversation. But uh, towards the end, I was actually going to ask you a question about how you see this going and, and kind of where – Okay. My hope as a fan is, and then what my logic tells me. So we're going to bring my man, uh, Dave Tilt Money from the Buffalo Fanatics Podcast Network. What up, Tilt Money? What's up, Spence? Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, And Jim, thank you for staying on. I'm the last one here. So appreciate the patience there. Uh, I know you chatted with Rico the other day. So hopefully I'm representing uh, Buffalo Fanatics well. Uh, And Spence, thanks for asking me to be part of this, man. Uh, I really appreciate that. Man, you you one of those minds that, you know, like you, Bruce, Joe, you know, like you guys, like if I could, Greg, and I know I had uh, I had Sterling take his place, the same thing. Sterling, if I had to mind like you guys, 
man, I wouldn't need you, but you know, I'm glad you're my friend. You know what I mean? I'm glad you're my friend and I can call on you, but we I'm just, I'm acting a fool tonight, man. I know. That's, that's I, I, you, get, man. I get, I get where you're coming from. I get where you're coming from. That's cool. That's cool, man. All right. So let's go. So Jim tilt, tilt, Jim, let's get it, man. So Jim, uh, I'm going to get right into it. I want to ask about the draft, right? Because <clears throat> The history, obviously, the last 20 years before the Bills made the playoffs in 17, um, the draft was kind of like the Bills offseason Super Bowl, right? It was like renewed hope. <laughs> renewed hope. We were like all into the draft, and we always, we still are, but like the draft was always that part of the year where we were like, you know, usually didn't make, you know, big, huge free agent signings because of the stigma. And so the draft was kind of where we had to go to try to find the next stars for this team. Now that the Bills have got Josh Allen, the quarterback situation settled, my question to you now is, how much do the Bills really go into the draft planning, you know, towing that line and finding the balance between planning for the future of the team post a lot of these one-year contracts they brought guys in on, like Sanders and Brita, versus going all in uh, in this, you know, Super Bowl window they're really in right now with Josh Allen on a rookie contract and, you know, is this the year that we might finally see a trade down from Brandon Bean? Cause he hasn't done it in previous drafts with the bills or do we expect him to kind of continue that aggression of sort of trading up like he's done in the past few years, knowing that it's maybe not so likely that seven draft picks make this roster at the end of this draft. Well, I don't think the bills got to remember Sean McDermott has final say on mm-hmm. everything. He's calling the shots as much as being is definitely setting the board. Sean is calling the shots. And the number one thing Sean McDermott talked about when we interviewed him was sustained success. Mm-hmm. You know, let's not try to just, let's not, let's not get crazy. Now the window, now that you have your quarterback, finally, the window is officially open to your point. And, and you, you need to figure this out here in the next four to five years. They need to get to the Super Bowl. This is their window. And windows don't use the only reason I use that four to five years is I was in Philly, I was in New Orleans. We had those windows, and that's about the frame, the time frame where they open and close. And the Bills has officially opened. So to me, I don't think they should mortgage the future. I don't think that's their mindset. This is just how I feel like Sean will be. Um, now, if they want to go up and get somebody and it's it, at their at their price and it doesn't mortgage the future, that's one thing. But I think they're fine. I think they're in a very good spot right now. I don't think they're panicking for anything. Um, and I said this earlier, if they go up for a guy, it's because they just really value him. But I really don't think they're going to mortgage the future for anybody at this point. I, I see them being very patient, calculated. Um, I thought they did a great job in free agency. I didn't think mm-hmm. they overspent. I thought they, they laid back and even got some guys at good value like Sanders. I really thought, I just really think they're doing things the right way. And to me, don't mortgage. I don't think they need to go crazy in this draft. I think when you're picking 30, get used to it. It's it's not fun for the fans. It's not fun for you. You know, but when I was with the Saints, I promise you, you know, you still know you can get good players at, at that pick. Can I ask you a yeah. question real quick to jump in? Sorry, Dave, because I, I, no, I want to give ahead. you all your time, but um, I just want to follow up because you mentioned about a window. And yeah. um, we had a recent debate recently with a couple of the content creators within the network who, you know, I tend to believe even if you have a great quarterback, you can have, you know, for instance, we saw Peyton Manning, you know, play for however mm-hmm. long. He won one Super Bowl in Indiana. Um, 
he you know and yeah. it was the reason was because even though he was great there's mm-hmm. a window when you have talent on both sides of the ball or all three phases of the ball so um when you when you say window can you just explain just a little bit so that way um because I feel like you're going to explain what I was trying to say a whole lot better than I can explain it. Best way I can explain it was in Philly. So our window opened in like 2001 or two, I believe when McNabb really just took fire. Okay. We go to the NFC championship every year, lose, 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 finally make the Super Bowl, lose. But that was like a four or five year window. I get to New Orleans. We get to the NFC Championship in 2006, which nobody thought we would, but we get, we got breeze and things just struck right. But from six to about 2011, that five years was that was really our true window where we knew there were years where like we're good enough to win it, and it was still that hard. We won one Super Bowl with Drew Brees. You know, the Philadelphia Eagles didn't win any with McNabb. So to your point, it's that hard. And it's going to be hard for the Bills just to get back to the AFC Championship. Like, I I think people need to understand it's that hard to win. And are you going to put up the same numbers offensively that you did last year? That's going to be tough because guess what every team's doing right now? They are preparing to to defend the Bills' offense because now they're finally on the map. And that's why – that's why good defense – that's why I say just keep building that defense because that's going to keep you in every game and the quarterback will take you over the top but that's my window theory is i saw it in philly i saw it in new orleans and you really do have like a four or five year shot where you know it and then all of a sudden you're like shit we didn't do it yeah then we gotta revamp this thing a little bit okay sorry about that dave go for it man no i mean it's a good point i mean i i liken it to the window the fact that the bills can invest on that defense now while josh is still on that rookie deal it seems like that's a win a, a sub window if you will of this broader window the bills might have. Um, and I was going to talk about the pick at 30, but I'll save that till the end because uh, <laughs> I know we're going to talk about that. Um, so my, my next question for you, Jim is more of a, a, a broader question about the NFL in general mm-hmm. today and about how the, the shelf life or the, or the um, expectation for head coaches in the league to win immediately win right away seems to have created a, a, a a situation where maybe guys don't get as long as they really need to, to kind of build up their teams to where it's, it's sustainable. Right. And we saw the bills um, with McDermott that first year, you know, they, they made it into the playoffs. So he kind of built up that equity right away and gave himself, you know, some time either way they preached patience and, and so forth. But my question to you is like, there are seven new coaches, seven new head coaches uh, in the NFL this year. Some of them are, are kind of retread, you know, former coordinators, some of them are brand new to the scene in your mind, sort of which head coach in 2021 is set up best organizationally personnel in the draft, maybe to have the most immediate success and, you know, which coach maybe on the other side of it is probably, you know, in a situation where they're already fighting an uphill battle. I think the chargers and the Falcons, um, I'm going to pay attention to both those teams. Chargers have talent. Mm -hmm. And I love, love, love Anthony Lynn as a man and as a football coach. And that he, you know, I know it's well documented. He blew some games at the end, you know, with time management and things like that. But that team has talent. Um, I think they are. I think they're ready to win. I think they got the quarterback. That guy looks like he is just going to, I mean, he looks off the charts to me. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the NFL yeah. missed on him. I mean, he looks good. And then I think Atlanta, and, and they're in a good situation where they blew. I forget. I saw the stat. I want to say they were within one score. It was. It's a crazy number of games that they lost last year within one score that they blew leads. And mm-hmm. I, those. That's a that that tells you they were a good football team. Didn't get it done. Is it Matt Ryan? Is it time to move on? But that team has talent. They have an offensive line. They have a receiving court. They have good players on defense. They have a new coaching staff, a new GM, who I personally know, Terry Fontenot from the Saints, and I know Terry, and he's going to do a great job. So those two teams I'm paying attention to, Atlanta and, and um, the Chargers. As far And then as far as guys that are going to be Urban Meyer, we got to watch that one. I can't wait. That's the number one story to me. I want to see – I'm not a huge Urban Meyer fan. I dealt with him a lot as a scout. Um, just when I say I'm not a fan, I have a lot of respect for him. Obviously, everywhere he goes, he wins titles, and then he programs get destroyed. You know, they get caught, and they, he gets out of town. What's he want to do now? I'll come to the NFL. Why? I have the first pick, Trevor Lawrence. Let me take my shot. And I don't know. That's whatever. That I want to watch that. I just want to see it. I don't think it's that easy. I don't think it's just, hey, I'm I'm urban and we take Trevor and we're going to win. I want to see how Jacksonville really does. Some guys have to fall on their ass before they. And I'm not saying he's going to. You know, you know, no, you know what I mean. Like I'm not saying no, he I'm is. I'm with you. Like you think some yeah. guys have like yeah. a confidence that they can just kind of walk into any arena. Yeah. And be like, all right, I'm the guy, and I'm going to do it. It's going to be. It's going to. It's interesting to see. I'm going to. I'm very interested to see what happens down there. And I got to put, like I said, I respect him. Like, hey, in college football, the name of the great game is recruiting. And that's what he knew how to do. And he had his system in place and plug and play these. I mean, he was putting first round picks out at Ohio State and Florida like it was crazy. So, but now you're not recruiting. So let me see how you draft. Let me see how you evaluate. Well, so let's uh, let's change the topic here real quick. Let's just switch gears and, and talk a little bit about the draft because um, mm-hmm. you, you are, you know, one of the things that you're very good at, which is the reason why I wanted to have you on the show is that I think that your your coverage about draft um, prospects, about how teams kind of, like you mentioned something about Atlanta earlier, about somebody that you felt like they could look at. And I thought it was pretty good. So I sent it to my Atlanta friend. Uh, friend mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, this is, you know, so same thing. So kind of what do you think uh, the Bills might do at 30? Where, where are you thinking that we should go? Well, I mean, to Jim's point, right, around making sure you can kind of take advantage of the window you're in now, but also not, you know, mortgage the future, keep yourself in a sustainable situation. Um, My viewpoint is I'd love to see the Bills go after a top end corner that they can pair with Trey White on a rookie contract while they're paying Trey White on this big deal. Get yourself another stud on the opposite side of him to slow down the teams like the Kansas cities of the world and you know, the up and coming teams as well, like the chargers and the, and the like, I think from a roster building standpoint, I'm not a GM, but I think it makes financial sense to have a, a potential stud corner on a rookie deal opposite of a guy that you're paying big money to as a top corner in the league. And I constantly find myself kind of coming back to Asante Samuel jr. From Florida state, because one, I think he, he could be there at the pick 30. I think the other four corners we talk about a lot are likely to be gone before that pick but he gives you flexibility into the future as well right he can come in and he can play on the outside from day one opposite of trey if in 2022 the bills decide that they can't or they're unable to retain the services of taron johnson in the in the nickel in the slot you could potentially slide 
Samuel inside, depending on what you do in free agency or the draft the year after. It just gives yourself options for the future of the roster as well. You don't necessarily have to say like, oh, in 2022, I have to replace an outside corner or an inside corner. You can go for either and then kind of move move Asante around um, to your liking, and he's still on that rookie deal. So for me, uh, from a, from what I see as kind of like an observer as how the team is stacked up right now, who they have on the roster, it seems like they're lacking some personnel at the corner position. You know, they've talked about Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace battling it out maybe for that number two spot. It's thin there behind Trey White, right? And I know a lot of people want edge at 30, but there are a lot of bodies still in the room at edge on that Bills roster. They just drafted Epinesa. They still have Addison. You've got Hughes still on the roster. I know they will have to address edge at some point, and I'm not saying they shouldn't because we obviously know they were in on J.J. Watt, but to me, pairing uh, a stud rookie corner on a rookie deal opposite of Trey White against those offenses you're going to have to go against in the AFC all year um, and getting to that Super Bowl and potentially having to defend the likes of the Packers and Tampa and whoever it may be, um, that that's kind of where my heart's leaning right now when it comes to the draft for the Bills. I completely agree with that. I think that is 100% dead on is if there's a corner, at least that they value, and, and there's nobody else that they have rated too much higher right. than the corner that they would take, I think corners are great. I think they've been skating by with some very average corners outside of Trey. Very average. Yeah. And I agree. I think it's time to get another one. If you don't have a, a pass rusher that you value or, or a playmaker on offense that you value. But yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean, obviously it depends on what happens with the board, but I, that means yep. a lot, Jim, for you to agree with me on that. Hundred so percent agree with that. I think you said uh, that. So I, I've been, I personally been. I don't think they've done. A, their corners have been average. I mean, they were that Josh Norman. That was desperation. He's he was shot in Washington, so that yep. was desperation. So it tells you they're trying. They're trying to find corners. Well, I appreciate yeah, that, I, and and thanks, Spence. Yeah, thanks for letting me ask the question or talk about the draft because you know that's, awesome. oh, no. that's what that's no, I, that's what I love to do right now. <laughs> again, man, <laughs> like it's not my expertise, and I don't even like you know I, I don't do the mock drafts, I don't do all that stuff. So the guys who are good at it, well, no, but you know what, Jim, there are certain guys who do them who actually are like pretty darn close, and this guy Dave is one of them. So I'm just gonna I'm say, like, how do you do it? How do you do mock? Yeah. Well, this is, I, I will tell you this. I don't, what I, I do think believe, there are good mocks. I do. I don't want you to think I don't like, I do a respect. I don't know how anybody does it. That's why I was I, like, it blows my mind away. One, one thing that I always recommend to people if they're trying to kind of get into draft analysis and like, again, this is just me, my opinion. I like to look at players from each position that I think would fit with the bills roster. And then just, I just look at the players from there. And then when it comes to the mock drafting, it's more about being familiar with the players that kind of um, you feel are, you know, around a certain grading or around a certain round that you believe they're there. It's not necessarily always sticking to like, it has to be this guy here because then you kind of miss out potentially on reviewing some other guys that maybe you hadn't thought of. So when I approach mock drafts or even draft analysis, I always just start with the players. I don't even worry about like who's going to pick who. I'm just like, okay, well, like, I'm going to start looking at corners and edge rushers because I think that's what the Bills, what the Bills will yep. need. And then from there, I'll go from there where I end up thinking like the best value would be for them. And like, there's obviously so many combinations. I mean, I, I compared on another show, I said the the mock drafting is like picking a March Madness bracket, right? You might get like the first two picks, right? 
because it's like the number one seeds being the 16s. Right, right, but right. once you get out of that first like two, three seeds, like it's, like a, it's a total crapshoot, man. It's a total like crapshoot. So um, I don't get too caught up in, in worrying too much about what the mock drafts put out. They're fun to do. Um, and it's more fun to just kind of figure out which guys like will fit with the bills and kind of make that connection with like, Oh, these are games. The bills have scouted. These are players the bills have met with and, you know, just trying to kind of connect some dots there, but that's, that's really it. I mean, it's nothing too crazy. Dave, man. Oh, go ahead, Jim. My bad. I was just going to say to your point, you know, paying attention where guys go and scout and things like that. I mean, there was a weekend where I went and saw uh, Temple play at Memphis. So I saw Deion Dawkins mm. um, in Memphis. It was like a Thursday night or it was even, I think it was a Thursday night. Then I flew to Boise or to um, Albuquerque, New Mexico after that. And, and we drafted this guy. Um, he was hurt, but I still went and talked to uh, Vallejo, the linebacker. He's still Tanner, playing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Tanner Vallejo. And then went to the West Coast because we were playing out West and uh, met up with Whaley up in uh, we were in L.A. for a game where we watched too. But to your point is we were, I mean, I was getting my eyes on, you know, Dawkins was amazing. I'll never forget Memphis had good pregame music. Daw- you know, offensive linemen can't dance. But <laughs> Deion Dawkins was out there in the pregame dancing. I'm like, wait a second. You don't see offensive linemen with that kind of like movement and Mm-hmm. And then you watch his passion and his toughness when he's playing. It's like, oh, that guy. I love Deion. I didn't know if he personally would be a great left tackle, but he's definitely proven to be a good one. So yeah. to your point, it is if you pay attention to sometimes where guys are going and scouting and talking about things, you, you can figure it out. Hey, Tilt, man, I appreciate you doing this with me. Like I said, you know I respect <clears> you tremendously, <throat> and I appreciate you, man. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find your content and uh, when your show is is airing? Yeah, so I'm mostly on Twitter at Till Money. My handle's right there. Um, my partner and I, Steve Mathis, we do our shows live every Mondays uh, and Thursdays at 8 p.m. I was just finishing up my my live show and then hopped on here with Spence, so full night for me. Um, Thursday, we'll be doing live coverage of the draft uh, and Friday and Saturday as well. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Tilt Money, and we'll have you covered for the draft um, at Buffalo Fanatics. Hey, Thank you so much, man. I'm going to catch up with you after this is all over to, to show my appreciation a little bit more. But, uh, Jim, do I have can – I, can I have you for about five more minutes? I've got, like, two more questions. Let's do it. Man. Let's do it. Okay. So the first one – this one is personal for me because um, as a content creator oh, I don't know. I and like just that. as a Bills fan – well, no, it's actually – I think, I think <laughs> I've taken um, your side a lot more than, than a lot of people. And maybe not directly, but yeah. – Doug Whaley has gotten a bad rep for a lot of things over the years. I am a Doug Whaley fan. Now, what I'm not saying I think he was the greatest GM. I'm going to be honest. And he fair. missed. You know what I'm saying? That's but fair. the thing hey, is, I, I think he also found some good talent. You know what I mean? Like, to your point, Sammy should have been the best receiver in that draft. He wasn't. You know, but it wasn't that. <laughs> there was things that played into that factor. Um, I think that I think he missed on the most important position. If he would have if he would have drafted the best position, the best guy, he probably still would have been our GM right now. The difference is we got EJ. So now I said all that to come around to this question. EJ was a guy who a lot of Bills fans, including myself, had faith in. Like we wanted it to work. You know, we wanted it to happen. We obviously reached. Right. But the thing is, I feel like before his knee injury, I thought EJ played well. Not great, but I thought he played well as a rookie. I thought he showed flashes. Um, I mean, 
he showed me things that made me say, oh, damn, we might have a guy in a couple years. Doug Marone benched this guy for Uncle Rico, right? I don't know how I feel about that. Now, you were in part of the decision-making process. As a Bills fan, there's a lot of fans who probably could care less. I want to know, man, what happened with my man EJ? What happened? Well, you, man, you summed it up so well. You were taking me back to some good memories and, and shaky memories. But EJ, EJ at the end of the day was never going to be the guy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now that we know everything that we know, to your point, I would agree with you where he was showing signs, was getting better. He had that injury. And did we rush him back? And did we do the right thing by even benching him? And it was a mess. And honestly, and this goes to show you like what Sam Darnold's going through right now. Like sometimes your situation does matter. Like you can have ability, but if your situation sucks, it might hurt you. And I think EJ, I think EJ's situation hurt him. Like, do I think he was overly talented to be the guy? No. I, I personally, you know, I wasn't with the Bills when they drafted him. I came in right after that. I scouted EJ with the Saints. And, you know, I, I always thought he was going to be a good backup quarterback, possibly a starter. I didn't see franchise. Right. And when the Bills took him in the first round, I mean, I remember like, Oof. you know, hey, good for you. You have conviction, but let's see what happens. And EJ just wasn't a natural playmaker at the position. You know, he, he looks apart. And, and you watch him throw the ball around, it's like, wow, he should be great. But something was always missing come game day. And, yeah, injuries hurt and the situation hurt. But it was tough. It was definitely tough to make it work. And then you start – when you start changing coordinators and coaches, and it, it's over. You know, it's over. So EJ definitely didn't have the best setup. But at the end of the day, I don't think he was ever going to be the right guy. So you weren't part of the conversation, you know, I thought maybe I was, I was. Okay, benching, I, on the benching. I was, I was involved. Okay. I was in those meetings and that was definitely um, a coaching decision. Um, you know, that's, Hey, that's Marone's call. That's the, that's a, the, the coaching decision. And he made that call. So, and Marone made a lot of good calls. Trust me. Marone's a good football coach. Doug Marone is a good football coach. Um, didn't work here. But the guy can coach. I mean, he had success in Jacksonville. And um, but but he made that call where he just thought EJ needed to just be shelved. You know, let's just get him right, let's sit him down. And I don't know, you know, we met with EJ's parents. I mean, it was intense, it was definitely intense. I'd never been a part of wow. anything like that. Yeah, I was I've never been a part of anything like that. And um, I don't know if EJ ever recovered from that. I think that might have been a shock to his ego. Well, actually, you know. To, to your point just then, um, he was on Eric Wood's podcast last summer. Um, I don't remember the exact month or whatever, but, you know, I do I, I follow Eric's podcast closely. Eric's awesome. And, um, Eric's awesome. He is. Eric's, Eric's awesome. 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 And and EJ actually said on there, he said, you know, I thought that I was, you know, kind of trending to be a good quarterback in the league. And after that, it pulled my confidence and it kind of like made me question myself if I could be a quarterback in this league. And it made me question. So the reason why I said it was personal for me is because, like I said, as a fan, you know, I wanted that to work. I remember when EJ, you know, you know, the, the game winning touchdown to Stevie and everybody got excited, right. like, oh, my God, it could happen. Right. Now, Stevie was wide open, I guess, you know, but, but, but it's it like was still it was big time. It was a big it was moment. Big and um, it was big time. You know, so I was, you know, I was excited about that. So thank you again. Thank you for being so honest, man. You're, you're just open. This is this is cool. So uh, yeah, and then lastly, yeah. 
go ahead. I'm sorry. I well, just no, hope you I did. answered your question. Like, I hope I gave you some insight on it. But no, you did because, like I said, it's it's a lot of times we speculate, and it's like you know, well, you know, well, what happened there? Was it this? Was it that? And you're like, well, no, it was it was coach's call, you know. And it, you answered the question. Thank you, man. It, 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 All right, cool. It's cool to get this insight. You know, um, I tried to I tried to reach out to Doug a, a while back and I understand why I completely understand why Doug wasn't ready to do interviews for for Buffalo yeah. podcasters. But um, but I am I am one of the guys that's on Doug's side. So so let him know if he ever changes his mind, he can come on a code of conduct and I got his back. Um, but the last- no, the one thing you have to understand with both of us is we we, we know we made mistakes and, and you know, but we also do. We did some good things, too. And we just like. To me, that's the only reason I like talking about. I'm I'm cool with talking about the misses, but I'm also, you know, I like talking about the Matt Milanos and the Trey Whites, and we did do some good things. So yeah, absolutely, and I, and and that's the thing that I try to give credit for. Yeah. It's like you know, because because to your point earlier, th- the same exact picks, every single pick you guys made, every free agent signing, everybody you traded for. If EJ Manuel would have worked as a quarterback, or if you would have drafted somebody else as a quarterback, that would have worked you would like, I wouldn't be talking to you right now because you would still be, uh, you would be getting ready for this week. So yes. it's literally about that position. Josh Allen didn't take the step he took. Yeah. You guys would yeah. be, you guys would be banging down the door to replace Bean. You know what I mean? Like they have a lot of misses in their drafts. Like, and, and you know what? We love Josh. So we love Josh so much. I love Josh dearly. should love Josh. His, a- his rookie season. He showed us so many flat, like a lot of rookies do. He showed us flashes. I think he threw what uh, uh, 58% or 56% for the first year. If Josh was throwing 56% last year, and if Josh was throwing for whatever last season, we would be looking for a new GM or a new head coach because we would not have been 13 and three in the AFC championship. So, so you're right. About, yeah. Nobody talks about Oliver, Ed Oliver and Edmonds just getting beat. You know, those guys get beat down against the run. Like those guys are non-factors. And those are for high first round picks. Well, but I think Ed is more about it's, it's the position. He's out of position, you know. I, he's not. He's not that guy. Yeah, Ed's not supposed to be playing. Uh, he basically was trying to play Star's position last year, and I just don't. You, I mean, and like I said, you would know more, so I'm asking. No, no, no. To you, what I'm saying is, when you take a guy that high, I got you. you. Know, he, he, he uh, to me, when you take th- those are top ten picks, right? I, wasn't Oliver top ten and Edmund? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm asking. I believe Oliver was nine. I believe in that range, but. I mean, you don't want to have to say you don't want to make excuses for guys like that. They should just right. be plug and play. That's how I view those types of picks. To your point, yes, could Oliver probably have a little more value with another guy eating up the blocks? Yeah, that might, you, you, I get that. Okay. Well, I mean, it's fair either way because you're you're right. Yeah. A nine, the ninth overall pick. You're like, that's a guy. Because really, we were shocked that he fell to us at nine. Right. I think people thought the Aaron Donald thing and, and it was going to be that. And, but regardless is let's see how they play this year. They might, they might take a step. I mean, they are young and they do get better. So I don't want to sit there and say they can't play, but right, right. those, those picks don't even get talked about. Like, right. No, no, because you're right. Of Josh Allen because of Josh. Yeah. He, he, when you have a great quarterback, it, it masks a lot of the issues that you seem to have and, um, and run rushing defense for us is boy, that's, that's our Achilles heel. Um, I would like to, uh, and then we can, we can go from here. We, we spent a good hour and change, man. I appreciate all of this. That's so cool, on, on Tyler's show, um, you and Doug were on one time and you talked about the shady trade. 
Oh, and, yeah, yeah. and how the whole thing went down. And I know Tyler's show is popular. I know a lot of people listen to it, <laughs> but I do feel like there's a, a, a sector of the Buffalo uh, fan base who who isn't aware of Tyler's pod yet. Right. I would love for you to kind of just like run through that story again, because I thought it was like probably one of the coolest stories. Like just just to hear I'm how that whole it. thing went down, man. I'll give it to you because it is one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. Now, the, first of all, Shady went. You know, I'm from Harrisburg. I'm not from Harrisburg. We went to the same high school, though. Obviously, I'm older. Bishop McDevitt in Harrisburg, PA. So that morning, we were getting ready to meet. We had just hired Rex. So we had Greg Roman. We had Dennis Thurman, the D coordinator. We had um, Denny Crossman, Anthony Lynn. We were all down in West Palm Beach at the Bagulas meeting on their yacht every day. Okay. And, and I tell this because I want everybody to know this is something that I wish everybody could experience one day. I, I never thought in my life I'd be on a yacht. Right. So we're sitting on a yacht and, and we're talking football, right? Breaking the team down. What are we going to do? Who are we getting rid of? Who are we keeping? And that morning, you know, Willie and I were getting ready to go over to the yacht. And, and I brought up, you know, I said to him, I was reading some stuff. I was like, you know, Shady might be. I think the Eagles might be done with Shady. And he's like, well, that's interesting. You know, we both like that would be interesting to see. It turns out that day we get a call from the Eagles. Now we were taking a little break and we were sitting up top on the Bulls yacht, just sitting there like taking a little break and, and Doug gets the call from uh, the Eagles. It was their director of personnel. I think it was Ed Manowitz at the time called and um, Hey, Doug, you know, whatever. Shady, hey, we're, we're shopping shady. You are. Yeah. We're, we're interested. Um, who do you want from our team? He's like, I'll call you back. Howie Roseman calls Doug back. Uh, yeah, well, you know, we like Kiko. You do? Who else? Oh, Kiko's good. <laughs> That's okay. it. <laughs> so we're looking at we're we're revamping this team, right? So we have these new we have all these new coaches on the yacht, and we have Anthony Lynn, who obviously loves running backs, and Greg Roman loves running the football. And we're like, uh, shady for Kiko. We basically yell down the yacht like you're doing fantasy football. Hey, Kiko. For Shady, Rex, Rex almost jumped off the boat. Like, he wanted to jump in the water <laughs> and celebrate. And uh, basically, we were all celebrating hard that night. That was one That was one of those that I, I don't know how many people can experience a trade like that. It was that easy, that fast. And we felt like, you know, at the end of the day, we still didn't have the quarterback. But Shady was, I mean, obviously, what he came to Buffalo and did was just incredible. Big time, man. Big, Big time. time. I'm going to cut that one part when you said just Kiko. Okay, I'm gonna use that as a meme for the rest of the season. Like seasons going forward, when he plays and he does something that gets on my nerves, just Kiko. Okay. Kiko. <laughs> well, listen, Jim, man, I, I appreciate. Kiko, by the way, Kiko's a beast. Oh yeah, and no. Listen, I just felt like we're getting a superstar playmaker against a good linebacker. Yeah, no, no, and you know what? A okay. lot of times too, because I I also give him credit like when Bills Kiko. fans Bills fans beat him down because obviously he he's made some plays against us that that Kiko, we, Kiko we don't like. He goes a baller. Kiko, Kiko no, he's a baller, but he's also it seems like since he left Buffalo, it seems like he has this like this dirty side of him where I don't want to call him dirty, but I'm saying we just don't like him in Buffalo. I'm gonna leave it there. But the thing is, I still tell people, look. The guy could ball, man. There was a legend of Kiko Alonso for a reason. Hey. Bills fans loved him. We just were happy to get Shady more. That's that is all. Like we fair. forgot. I think that's a very fair way to say it. Yeah, no, we absolutely loved well, Kiko on Buffalo. At least I did. I remember it being a thing, man. How about a good player, good player against Hall of Fame. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Mind. 
because Shady is absolutely that. I and, do. Um, I think Shady is. I love Shady. I love. Yeah, him. and I'm I'm happy he got one. I know he didn't get one as like the feature guy because of his age, and his, but I'm happy he got a couple of them. Man, he he's the guy. So Jim. Thank you, man. I, Thanks, hopefully man. one this day we can cool. do this again. Yeah, we got to do this again, uh, like closer to the season or during the season sometime. Get your yeah. insight on it. Yeah, I'd be, in, I'd be down. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Hey, everybody, y'all know how we do it here. This is the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Join me tomorrow, same time. I have CJ Spiller, Buffalo, R- Buffalo Bills former first round pick and current running back coach down in Clemson, who is the, he, he has a good eye. He got a good, good perspective on the guy that some bills fans want to draft so join me tomorrow when uh me and cj get to break that down and talk about the draft and y'all know how we do it here y'all take care of each other y'all love each other and live in peace and as always stay positive and test negative go bills